God, we, uh, I just pray that today we, we genuinely all together want to be your people, that we want you to be our God, that we would desire, I think the invitation for us today is to bring to you, um, I don't know, the moment, the circumstance, the, the thing, the thing that would most easily take us from you, the hardest thing we've had to encounter, where it's easy to fall away, like you're asking us to bring that moment, that thing to you today, to surrender it to you, so we can move into life with you. So I pray even now as we begin that you would bring those things to mind, the things that would keep us from you. The things that break our hearts, the things that grieve us, the things we can't let go of, the wounds we have, our deep sadness, whatever it is, would you bring those things to our mind so we can surrender them to you? Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We're going to read a lot of the Bible today, just so you know, just so you're prepared. Like 50 verses. Just 50 verses, all right? But it's going to be fun. Um, I, so my prayer for today uh, and for this week, it's a prayer for me, so I'm making it a prayer for you as well. Uh, it's really easy to go from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And so the people in our story today, John 11, uh, were part of Palm Sunday. They saw something, experienced something so profound, so incredible, so life-changing that it made them just celebrate fill the streets, run, yell, sing, ask their friends to come along with them. It was, it was life-changing. They would say things like this. Hosanna, right? Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They would say, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. Jerusalem, our city, our people, don't be afraid because the king is coming. The week shakes out differently than they think. Right? If, if we know the story, we're a couple of thousand years removed, we know what happens in the week. But what they say is true. But actually what takes place on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday makes what happens on Easter Sunday, that makes this even more true. The king who comes to save is here. So like Mike said, I... I uh, so this is, a weird, this is a weird analogy. In my mind, uh, yesterday morning, I had this picture of, uh, I want us to feel like we're like being blown into the week. Like we're being like propelled, like shot. Like we're just like, whew, like we're going into Holy Week. So I've imagined myself in a little boat uh, with a little sail, right? So we're all in little boats and little sails. And I feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to whew, just blow 
life-changing life and breath into each of us. But we have to turn our sail the right way so we can go into the week. Is that kind of weird? That sounds kind of good. So I'm going to conclude with an invitation for you or for others to Thursday, to Friday, to Saturday. I'm going to guess a lot of us have been to either a Monday, Thursday, or a Good Friday, depending on what tradition you grew up in. I'm guessing most of us have not gone to Holy Saturday. Some might be saying, what is Holy Saturday? But I hope you feel propelled, compelled, because it's at those places, I think, where real change happens. That allows the real change, the real celebration of Easter to take place. All right? So that's my prayer, that we feel blown into the week by the Holy Spirit. All right? So we're going to be in John 11, and we're talking about a miracle, a sign. A couple things about it. So John, so can you give me slide number, number six? John says this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, there are seven, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That by believing, you may have life in his name. So John uses the word believe more than anybody else. Over 80 times in his gospel, he says he wants us to believe. Um, if you remember, I think early on it was said, it's, John's written, it's kind of like a courtroom. It's like a court drama. There's witnesses, there's testimony. Uh, he wants us to believe something. Uh, I think Luke's gospel is the next closest. was like 16 times. So John, John wants us to believe. Now, believe is a bit of a, I've heard it called a junk drawer word because we believe in lots of things that we don't really believe in. So when he says believe, I think he means to trust. He wants us to trust that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who saves. Do you believe? Do you? Do you really believe? So last week, Bill and Christy talked about these, the wall. Did I remember this last week, the wall? So in all of life, we all hit walls. And it's at the wall where most people fall away. So in our story today, the people in the story hit the wall. The invitation is to move through the wall with Jesus. But it is hard. So we're going to see how each person interacts with Jesus as they hit this moment in life where Life is more than our humanity can bear. We're beyond the point of fixing, of control, of dictating. We can't do it, and we know it. Has anyone hit that point ever? Show a hand. I actually want to see a hand. If you hit a point in life where you've hit a moment where it's like, I don't know what to do. That's the moment. So they hit the moment. How does Jesus engage them? And what's so cool about Jesus, at least to me, is that he engages them all differently. It's like the one who made us, who knit us together in our mother's womb, right? Psalm 139. Knows us so well from the moment we are, even before we're conceived, and we are conceived, he knows us so well that when we come to those moments 
we might choose, if we put faith in him and say, I don't know if I can anymore, he will engage us in such a way where we will be changed to move through it with him. But he does it differently for each of us. And I love that. Sometimes I think everyone just does it the same, right? Just go read your Bible some more, which is true. You should read your Bible some more. But he engages all in different ways and with different people. So we're going to explore that together today. All right? So this is the seventh sign. And the reason I'm reading the whole thing is because the first six signs in John's gospel, uh, Jesus would do the miraculous sign and then he would explain it. The seventh one, which is the most substantial, Jesus explains it and then he does it. So if he thinks it's worthwhile to explain it first before, I mean, who knows the story of Lazarus? Lazarus, it's a pretty well-known story. I mean, if you go to church or not, you probably have heard about it. But he explains it before he gets to the part that we all know. So if he thinks we should do that, I thought we should do that. Does that sound good? All right. So uh, one more thing. We're looking at four different people. This is a series, Lives Jesus Changed. Slide three before we get to the page numbers. So there's different people in the story. There's Mary, there's Martha, there's Lazarus, and there's the witnesses. So we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with each of them, all right, as we move our way through. And we're just going to read and talk. Does that sound good? Um, oh, one other thing I want to say first. Slide number four. Look for this question. I think they all ask, Jesus, where were you? When we hit the moment, the wall, I think we all ask the question, Jesus, where were you? Where are you? Which leads me to the second thought. I'm not sure how much I'll use it. We're moving. I'm looking for movement. So when Jesus is changing us, we're moving from one place to another, right? Easter Sunday, we're moving from doubt to faith. So looking for the movement. I think moving from resuscitation to resurrection. So what I find when I say resuscitation, um, let's say uh, for an example, um, let's say somebody has drowned and someone gets CPR, they are resuscitated. They're resuscitated, but they are the same, right? I come back, but I'm the same. When Jesus dies and Jesus descends and Jesus comes back, he is the first resurrected person, the first fruits, Paul says. He's the first one in the body that we will someday have. Jesus cares deeply about the things we want resuscitated. You'll see that in the story. These are the things that are hard, that grieve us. But those things have an end date. Those who move into the resurrection with him have no end. So I think he cares more about that while he cares very much about the things that are hard in this life. All right? Okay. We're starting in John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. There's the first person, Lazarus. I think Lazarus said, Jesus, where were you? Has anyone ever been with somebody who's been very sick and watched them be very sick? I never think about Lazarus that way. I jump to the end because I know the ending. But Lazarus is very sick. If you watch someone who's very sick sometimes, it's hard, 
It's hard to breathe. They start to lose their mental capacities. Lazarus is very sick. I think he might have said, if you agree with me, Jesus, well, at that time, where are you? Where were you? He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through him. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Is it interesting that John makes sure that we know two times Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Is that interesting? He wants to make sure that you know when these people that he loves hit the wall that he loves them. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. So to return to help Lazarus puts Jesus, his disciples, all at risk. I think Mary and Martha knew that too. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. That's what I tell my kids. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that, purpose clause, you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So Thomas is in next week's story, John 20. And we talk about doubting Thomas a lot. And I was actually studying this passage with my friend Hunter, and he brought to my attention, he goes, Thomas is a really good friend. Right? Let's, we know Jesus is going to somewhere where it's dangerous. We know that they might stone him. Right, guys? That's what he's saying to the guys? Let's go with him. I don't know if he knew what he was saying for sure at that point in time, but man, what a good friend. Jesus had good friends because Jesus loved his friends really well. I thought that was really interesting. I just wanted to share it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them, the loss of their brother. I think Mary and Martha had good friends. Many came to comfort them and be with them and grieve with them. I've heard it said maybe those are professional mourners, but maybe. Maybe they're really good friends. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where were you? But I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. 
Notice how Jesus responds to her? So I was uh, listening to someone, uh, I was reading something by Tim Keller. And uh, he said, we, uh, one of the things we try to do in this story is we try to grade who was the better griever? Who did the better job? Who had more faith? Mar- Martha or Mary? Like, who, who did it right? And him and other writers said, that's the wrong question. I'm not sure if you've been in a situation where people are grieving. We all do it very differently, right? Some people need to talk it out. So see, some just need to grieve. So Jesus knows he loves Martha. So he gives some truth to Martha. He talks to Martha. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection, the last day, that's what they believe. At the end of time, when Messiah comes back, right, there will be a last day where we'll all be risen. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? So there's this power, right, at the end of time, which will make everything right. She said, well, I am that power. And I'm here to offer you power for today to grieve, to live this life now. It's different at the end. But it can start now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world and after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. See, I think that's where I think they knew it was dangerous for Jesus to come back. If you watch, she pulls Mary aside to meet elsewhere with Jesus because they also know this is a risky thing for him to come back. They know what people think about him. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but it was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to, to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where were you? Again, I'm going to ask, have you ever asked the question, Jesus, where were you? Does Jesus correct her? Does Jesus say, you can't ask that question? Is that a bad question? No. I was chatting with Mike. It's so, so fun to see Jesus' humanity in this moment. Because Jesus knows, right, he has the power to raise Lazarus. He knows what he's going to do, right? So he could tell them what's going to happen. He could give them all the right answers, right? He could. Does he? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So the word deeply moved right there in verse 33, it comes back in verse 38. When Jesus saw the pain of his friends who he loved, when he saw their sadness, when he saw what they're having to encounter, when he saw the evil that we experience in this world, when he saw death, when he saw the wall, Verse 33, that he says that he is deeply moved and troubled, it means that Jesus quaked with rage. He is bristling with anger at the evil 
that we experience in this world. I think sometimes when bad things happen, we think, where is God? How does he feel about this? How could he let this thing happen? Well, this says that it makes Jesus angry. He is mad. That is not the way it was supposed to be. So what does he say? Where have you laid him? I see Jesus. He, he is on a mission. Come and see, Lord. Before he goes, though, Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes? He who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying. Jesus, the witnesses, where were you? Does, has anyone else asked that same question when you've seen something awful in the world? Jesus, why did you let that happen? Where were you in that moment? Am I the only one? If you're honest, Jesus, where were you? Jesus, once again, more deeply moved, more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Tim Keller said you could interpret it like this. Bellowing with anger, Jesus came to the tomb. So my mind's eye, I'm thinking about this. The king of light, the one who possesses light and life, walks up to the cave of death. At the very end, end of the story, at the end, what gets thrown into the fiery hell, death, capital D, death. This is a confrontation between life and death. And Jesus is angry. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. So previously Jesus has, resur he has resuscitated people, but it was the same day. In this day they think that on day three, they believed that the soul of the departed would leave on the third day. They actually would walk up to the tomb and say the person's name to see if they would come out of the tomb. I guess that must have happened at some point in time, right? Now it's the fourth day. On the fourth day, the soul would leave the person. The soul has departed to the realm of the dead. There's three levels there. We're not going to get that today. So they are totally gone. Past, there's no way. This is past human understanding. There's no way they could come back. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. If he'd have done that, he would have done it just like this. It's like us all at the tomb together. He would have prayed just like this. Hands in the air so all could see. Where am I? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So when he said this, Jesus calls out in a loud voice. It means that he has raw authority. He yells out. He is angry. He is bell he's billowing with anger. And he comes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So I wonder... If the reason Jesus weeps, my, my wondering, is that because Jesus did this, because of this seventh sign, goes on to say that the religious leaders decide they have got to kill Jesus. People might believe in him. And because they have to kill Jesus, they also have to kill the evidence. 
They said they have a plan to kill Lazarus as well. So I'm wondering, my wondering, if I'm Jesus and I'm coming to the tomb to bring someone back from paradise, which is where Jesus said that he was, like if you follow uh, in Abraham's bosom with all the other people, I call him back knowing perhaps he has to die again. And that's my friend who I love. I can see how that would make me sad. But I wonder, I was reading ahead to John 14, where Jesus said this to his disciples. Verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I wonder, because you couldn't touch dead bodies, right? That was a bad thing. I think Jesus, I wonder if Jesus and Lazarus have a moment where he might have said, next time, when you close and you open, I'll be waiting for you. I will come and get you. So I, uh, I, um, I think Jesus is, so uh, uh, there's a show that we watched with my daughters, and Kelly and I talk about this a lot. It's, uh, so there's Lion King, anyone? Okay. There's a show about the Lion King. There's a show about Simba's son. So it's lions, lions and animals, and they fight and they wrestle, and there's scar, scars, evil, scars, bad, right? But there's this episode where uh, in it, there's a, a queen lioness who's lived a long and good life. But she is going to die so that the new character can become the queen. So you watch this show, right? At the start of that episode, there's a disclaimer that this content is not suitable for children. And we talk about this, we're floored by this. fighting, learning to be kind, all this stuff in a normal show. But someone has lived a long, good life, and they're going to pass away. You shouldn't let your kids watch this. And that makes me really sad. Because I wonder, are we setting up our children for life? Because in this life, you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. So because of life, we've gotten to talk with our girls quite a bit about death. There was a situation recently where we were talking about death and someone had died. And we told our kids about it and I could see their wheels turning. And they were thinking without knowing about John 14. And we explained death. They thought and they said, but that means that Jesus came get them. And that means that all of their owies are all better. Just like Grandpa. Just like Uncle Kirky. We are so, and I get it, right? Fearful of death. I think that's why it's the last sign. The one that points Jesus is the Christ. I think that's why he had to die. Because it is, to me, death is, death is so hard. 
I think this morning we're just supposed to talk about death and life. That we will have things in this life that we want brought back, that we want resuscitated. But so oftentimes, when we hit that moment, we get so disenfranchised and so angry that we walk away from the only one who says, no, when you close your eyes and open them, you will never die. You will live forever. You have a hope that no matter what happens, we will continue to go forward with him. You become more and more like him. You will know love. His kingdom is coming. Eternal life starts now, he says in John 17. But as a culture, we're just, we're just and I get it. Death is the worst. Look how Jesus responded to death. He is bellowing with rage. He is angry. He hates death. This is not the way it was supposed to be. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't realize it's going to happen, if we're not prepared for it, how can we number our days right? How do we know how to live if we pretend like we're never going to die? This life. Do you believe? I was at a funeral this week. And one of the things that was said in the eulogy was, it's a really weird thing to say. At a funeral, they say, who's next? And what are we going to do with Jesus? Do you believe? Because you follow the story. Some do. And they're the ones on Palm Sunday. But some don't. And they go tell on Jesus to the Pharisees. They just saw someone walk out of a grave. They saw a miracle, the sign of all signs. They chose not to believe. So do you believe? So back to that funeral. I'm sorry. I am so grateful. So I was at Charles Copeman's funeral to belong to a five-generation church. Because at the end of the funeral, I watched generations of a family. They grieved. They're sad. They miss someone they love. And they praise God. Because they know exactly where their dad, their grandpa, their uncle, they know exactly where he is but they miss him deeply. At the end, they sang the song, The Blessing, which is a song that I sat and listened to at my father-in-law's funeral. So incredible to me, so encouraging to me to watch people who live faithfully and watch how faithful living with the right idea of death and life and how it gets passed down to generation, to generation, to generation, to generation. We get to share that because we are a five-generation church. What a good gift from a good God. So thank you. So I was reading this. I'll conclude with this. Had the band come up here in a minute. I would grab one if I were you. I was reading about, so what does that look like? So, gets passed down from generation to generation. Why do we push through the wall with Jesus? Why do we keep walking with him, even when it's hard? I read a Claire Brafart story. 
And I, I found myself wanting to be a lot like Claire. So she says in her story um, that for the past four years, she's experienced Lyme disease, which makes breathing difficult, digesting food, there's lots of discomfort. She said that uh, she heard a word from the Lord that she would be healed, she thought. So she really wrestled with that. Will I be healed? It's kind of what they're wrestling with in our story today. And Ash Wednesday, she kind of brought that to the Lord and said, I'm going to entrust you with this. She said she felt better for Easter. And she got to eat some food she hadn't eaten. It was really fun. But she said, but slowly, the symptoms started to come back. And it was really hard. I thought I heard this. It's not happening. What do I do with this? But back when she heard that first word, she had a, a picture in her mind. And the picture in her mind was her and a bunch of young women at the front of a stage, and Jesus was, was healing them, was blessing them. So she kept asking the question, Lord, why? why? Like, where are you? It says at the end, so she was, felt healed, now not. She said, although my limes has improved, I still experience symptoms quite often. I know that one day, this is a high schooler, by the way, I will be completely healed, whether that be on this side of heaven or in my eternal home. Throughout this journey, my prayers have changed from why is this happening to me to what can I learn from this experience. I have learned that disease compels closer intimacy with the Father, worshiping him through pain and discomfort. Jesus is walking along with me every step of the way. Instead of letting me live a life of despair and sorrow, he has blessed me with emotional healing and abundant life full of his goodness. So I think stories like that are helped by those who go before and who are faithful. Living in the tension of Yet Jesus came, he died, he rose, he's the king, but we live in this middle time period. How do we live in this time period? So I'm really grateful for Claire's story, for her perspective as a high schooler. Let's pray. God, we, we need you. We hit the wall. We're most fall away. Go back to that song. Might we be your people and you be our God, no matter what. So let's pray in these next moments that we would worship you like you are God, like you are worthy of our praise, like you are the King.